in uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse number 5. Now, if you understand who Timothy was, then you understand that Timothy was a young pastor and um, he was mentored, trained under the Apostle Paul. And, you know, Apostle is a ministry office in the body of Christ. And you know, one of the things that an Apostle does is he goes into new territory, preaches the gospel, gets folks born again, establishes churches, trains pastors. And, of course, the Apostle Paul is one of the finest apostles that ever lived. The church that Paul had pioneered that he had turned over to the pastoral leadership of Timothy was, I like to call it the first mega church. Man, I'm talking about folks getting born again by the thousands. This church was growing and growing and growing and growing. And so the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy was instructions and encouragement, you know, for a young pastor. But then we see that tremendous persecution started coming against the church. And so the church that was, you know, growing so fast, it was almost out of control growth. Now we see people are, are basically leaving the church because of the persecution and because of, you know, what was potentially going to happen to them if they continued to, um, to attend and be associated with the church that Timothy was pastoring. And so long and short of it is you get some really good uh, wisdom from God by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And whether you've ever pastored a church or not, it's good for life and living. So, you know, for instance, it was the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul that said God's not given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and a sound mind. And when you understand that, you know, he's... He's telling him that in the face of authorities who are wanting to, to kill him um, for what he believes and what he stands for, it, it tends to add a little more impact, I guess, for our own lives. In other words, let me say it another way. Anybody in here tonight that may be struggling with fear, I guarantee you, you're not facing something you know, the same as what Timothy and, and members of that church were facing when the Holy Spirit said to them, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. To the Corinthians, Paul said that people on earth compete for a crown that perishes, but in the kingdom... We're competing for a crown that is eternal, one that doesn't perish, one that doesn't fade away. Now, I don't know for sure if this is what Paul meant, but if you've ever seen some of those early Olympians, the crown that they had was basically made out of green leaves, ivy-type looking leaves. And um, so obviously that's going to wilt and go from green to brown and ultimately turn back to dust. So the crown that perishes, whether it was, you know, an example being the one that 
they used in those days for competition or not. We know that anything that's of this earth is temporal and is going to wind up <laughs> returning dust being burned either way. But the connection is still the same, that you and I, not that we're in competition with one another or, or in the competition with another church, other you know, families of faith, that's not what he's saying, but that we have to recognize that, that we have a race to run, we have a destiny to fulfill, we have a prize to pursue. Now, we've been talking about that prize some on Sundays from the passages, the verses in Philippians 3, where Paul said that he reached for the, the goal or the prize. And I think for far too many Christians, we've made heaven the, the prize or the goal. And that's not to offend you tonight, but that, I believe, is an incorrect way of looking at these things. Heaven is not the goal that we're striving to achieve. Heaven is your reward. There's a difference between your reward and your prize or your goal. Ultimately, as born-again believers, our goal is not heaven. Our goal is Jesus. Our goal is to grow up into Him in all things. And that comes from that, that knowing Him and, and, and pursuing that, that close personal relationship with Him. So when the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, if you're going to compete in athletics, you're not crowned unless you compete according to the rules, this is, this is not like you got to obey the commandments if you want to go to heaven. I think that's how a lot of people look at this passage. You know, you got to do good and obey the rules um, if you're going to be crowned one day when you get to heaven. That's absolutely not the context of this. Absolutely not what he's saying. I, in other words, somebody who would try to make that analogy is not necessarily wrong, but... It, it would not be complete. How about if we say it that way? Because clearly what Paul is talking about here is, you know, living the life that God created us to live, fulfilling the purpose for which we've been recreated in Christ Jesus, living the life that Jesus has put in reach for us to live. And the word rules here is easily, I think, misunderstood as being rules to tell you what not to do. But the rules that define a game or define a sport are more than just what's a foul or what's, you know, not to be done within the context of that athletic uh, activity. But the rules also spell out how to win. The rules make allowance. I think we used this example last Wednesday night. The rules of football include a forward pass. The rules say, you know, you can't, you know, hold a player trying to tackle the quarterback or whatever. It tells you what not to do. But the same rules that tell you what not to do and how you'll be penalized for doing it the same rules tell you what you can do in order to make progress. So, pursuing a crown according to the rules. Going after what has been set before us 
in accordance with, in agreement with what Jesus has established. And so we said that this, among other things, is talking about faith. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. James says that those who endure temptation will be blessed. Those who are not lured off of the pathway of faith will be blessed and will be crowned with life. He's talking about our ruling and reigning in this life, not the crown of making it to heaven one day, either by death or the rapture. Now, we talked about those things at great length last week. I want us to to jump in here now. Romans 14 and 23 says, Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, I am so thankful this verse is in the Bible, although it confused me for many years. It did more than confuse me for many years. It, it left me with a false sense of condemnation for many years. Because, in my opinion, this set the bar so high, there was no way I was ever going to not sin, and I was wrong in thinking that if I could not live a life without sin, then I would never make it to heaven. We know that our righteousness is not based upon our behavior. Amen? We know that our righteousness is not based upon our performance, but based upon what Jesus has done for us and given to us. Not what we've done, but what he's done for us. So these verses then, if we would take them out of the context of heaven and hell and put them in the context where they belong, the context of life. Again, are you, are you following what I'm saying? So we miss so much by looking at everything based upon whether or not we're going to go to heaven or this is talking about going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross to secure your eternal destination, but he also died on the cross to secure your daily victory. Your daily victory. So this is a life verse. Whatever's not of faith is sin. Sin, by definition, means to miss the mark or to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. The Holy Spirit said it to me this way, whatever's not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort wasted going around and around in circles. This is my favorite. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. Now James says that when we're tested, tempted, or tried, we are drawn away by our own lust and enticed. And that we should never say when we're tested, tempted, or tried, all this is found in James chapter 1, we should never say when we're tested, tempted, or tried that we're being tested, tempted, or tried by God, for God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by, here's the word, you ready, evil. Nor does he test, tempt, or try any man. I mentioned this a few weeks back. I want to bring it up again tonight. The word evil there is interesting to me because a lot of times we don't think of what we're being tempted by as being evil. In other words, evil is not real attractive. Evil is repulsive. Evil, you know, Hitler is evil. Nazi death camps, that's evil. 
Are you understand you know what I'm saying? Serial murderers, that's, that's, that's evil, and there's, there's nothing enticing about that. So the simple answer would be, yeah, but it's Satan disguising something that's, that's good that actually leads to evil. I believe that is certainly one part of this. But if you look at what the word evil means, the, the, the word evil, again, is like the word sin. It has to do with, with missing the mark. It has to do with, with pulling back. It has to do with not progressing forward. The, one of the words translated into our English word evil is the word phallus, which we get our English word foul, committing a foul, stepping out of bounds um, from, and again, we see what that is communicating to us. So let's, um, let me do this. There's a couple different directions we can go here. Let's, let's try to lay this groundwork. Satan is now known as the evil one. Am I right about that? Jesus referred to him as the evil one, but he's not always been called the evil one. He was once called Lucifer, and Lucifer doesn't mean evil one. It means day star. We even see in places in Scripture where Lucifer was called the seal of perfection. It was said that he was full of wisdom. He was perfect in beauty. The anointed cherub and the son of the morning. All of these are descriptions that we find in the Bible to refer to this archangel known as Lucifer. But Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 15 says this, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Till iniquity was found in you. Now, this is, this is really important. I'm not going to try to get all philosophical on you here. But we understand that you know people say, well, well God created the devil. Yeah, but He created him good. Again, what we now know or who we now know as the evil one, as Satan, as the devil, God created as the day star, seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, anointed cherub, son of the morning. It was choices that he made. In other words, it was, it was an act of rebellion that led to Lucifer, now known as Satan, becoming the leader of a rebellion. And we see that that, that Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan and became a part of his rebellion. So Jesus came to the earth that was under the sway, under the influence of rebellion to bring us back into right standing with God. Now, here is another word, and I, I want to try to put this together for you tonight. When I originally, end of last year, the Holy Spirit began to give me these messages. I don't, I don't know, as many years as I've been doing this, for some reason I think I can preach 14 sermons in one. And I, you know, I, anyway, I thought that this would, would kind of all come together in, in one message, but it didn't work that way. So some of this will be a little bit of review tonight, but I want you to see all of these things because for me personally... It was, a, it was an eye-opener. It was, it was a powerful uh, revelation. Um, you know, as far as what's going on here, what's behind test trials and temptations, why evil is evil and why it's called that. 
So again, he was perfect in his ways from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. So what is iniquity? I think it's interesting that when we talk about sin, we see that the Bible uses a couple of words, one being a trespass, and then iniquity. So what's the difference between a trespass and an iniquity? I can say it, right? That's easier to say than the quarterback's name at Alabama. Amen, whatever. That's a, I have a feeling for it's over with, though. People know how to say his name. When Arnold Schwarzenegger first came to this country, everybody said, your name's too, too hard to say. You need to change your name to something easier to say. He said, well, it may take them a while to learn it, but when they know it, they'll never forget it. And uh, so praise God. Amen. And iniquity. What's the difference between a trespass and an iniquity? Well, think in terms of, of this, a trespass, because if you're trespassing, that means you're somewhere that you're not supposed to be. Um, let's say you're out in the woods hunting and you're on your property, but either deliberately or more than likely um, without deliberation, mistakenly, you wandered over onto someone else's property. Well, you're trespassing. You're somewhere you shouldn't be, somewhere you're not authorized to be, doing something you're not authorized to do. It is, um, you know, it is a grievance. It is, it is an error, but we could even make a case that it was an innocent one. And iniquity, on the other hand, is a different kind of sin. One way to simplify iniquity is when you know better and you do it anyway. And remember now, the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid, but, but God the Father laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Iniquity of us all. Now, it was iniquity that was found in Lucifer. So what is iniquity? Anything that deviates from the right way of doing things. Anything that deviates from the right way of doing things. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but is anybody seeing a pattern here? He's talking about sin, and sin is when you miss the mark. You're, in other words, you're, you're headed down a pathway and somehow you get off the pathway. You miss the mark, the, 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 the target that you're trying to, to hit, the, the, the destination that you're trying or destiny that you're trying to arrive at. Another word for sin is trespass, meaning again, you've, you've veered off, you've wandered off into an area that you're not supposed to be in. Iniquity, a deviation from the right way. Evil, a foul, a step out of bounds. Are you, are you seeing the, the pattern here? In other words, they all have to do with 
a changing of direction. They all have to do with um, something affecting you, drawing you away from the path that God has laid out before you, the course that He's laid out before you into an area that you should not be in. Again, whatever is not of faith is sin. So God has an established order that leads to a predetermined end for all things, including you. Lucifer fulfilled his God-given purpose until iniquity was found in him. In other words, until he deviated from the plan and his purpose. We've said this before, let me say it again. Sin sets you back, reroutes you, costs you progress and the time it took you to make it. This is the game the devil will play with you until the horn blows and the time is up or until you drop dead in the wilderness having never reached your best life. Iniquity is to deviate from the right way. Sin is to miss the full scoop, full scoop, full scope and true end of one's life. Evil is to pull back and stop short of the full measure, to step out of bounds or to spin your wheels and lose progress. Trespass, again, is pretty clear for what it actually is and means. Now, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's turn there for a minute. There are some things that we're going to develop out of Hebrews 12, but let's, um, let's look at it at least for the purposes that we're, we're um, talking about tonight. We were talking about this in class, and I want to bring it up again tonight. Those of you who are in class, we just... Amen. We'll just water this a little more in your life. We, we live under grace. The Bible says that your sin has been taken away. Not in part, but in whole. You've been forgiven for every sin that you've ever committed if you're a born again person tonight and every sin that you ever will commit Jesus was one sacrifice for all sin for all time now some people struggle with that some some people it's like well hold on a second you know I had people years ago they, they told me they said ah pastor we, we don't want our children hearing this we want them to be afraid to sin Well, when did a fear of sin ever keep us from sinning? Somebody said, well, that grace message gives us an excuse to sin. When did we ever need an excuse to sin? But what we have to have is a respect for God in addition to the grace. If you never have a fear for God, a fear of God, then you'll never have the ability to appreciate what His grace has done in your life. 
dude, we were dead to rights. Do you understand this? We were separated from God. We were without hope. We were doomed. You were doomed. God had every right to send us off into an eternal hell with the devil. But he didn't want that. See, when we don't understand the severity of the trouble we were in, we don't have the wherewithal to appreciate the grace we've been given. We don't understand the seriousness of sin. We have no comprehension of the value of grace. So for a lot of people, they think grace means you're God's pet and you can now do whatever you want. The Bible teaches very plainly to born-again believers that if you live by your flesh, you'll die. That doesn't mean a spiritual death, but it does mean, in a lot of cases, people who die way too soon physically on this earth. Please hear me. Please hear me tonight. I'm not trying to offend you by this statement, but the devil understands this better than a lot of born-again believers. In other words, the devil knows that a third of you is already just like Jesus and is already in heaven, and that's the most important third, your born-again spirit. And the devil knows, listen, <laughs> I'm not trying to freak you out, but First John even says that that part of you, it's not that it doesn't sin, it's, it can't sin. It's been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and, it, and it's, it's immune to sin. There's a lot of teaching there, and I'm probably skimming over it, and I'm not trying to confuse you, but amen. I believe every bit of this, but listen to me, please. That doesn't mean that sin will not affect you on other levels and in other ways in your life. So we're making progress, right? We're making progress in the life we were created to live. We're laying hold of the things that Jesus laid hold of us uh, and, and, and put us in a position now to experience in our lives the greater things of God. The joy, the peace, the prosperity, the wisdom, the comfort, the confidence, the power, the authority. Are you following what I'm saying? The, the, in other words, these are the things that we are quote-unquote pressing for, reaching for, competing for. These are the things that the enemy is trying to keep you from ever laying hold of, and he's trying to keep you from ever laying hold of them by continually rerouting you off of the pathway of faith that leads to these things more and more and more in your life. So when we go back to it, again, I'm not trying to just belabor this over and over and over and over again, but when we look at what all these different words, evil, trespass, iniquity, sin, and what they all mean, every one of them have to do in one way or the other with a detour off of, a stopping, a, a rerouting, um, a hindrance, impeding some way the progress that we're all wanting to make 
Sometimes we don't know how to say this, right? We just we come to a new year and we go, man, I would like for this to be different. I would like for this to be better. I would like for this to, to be transformed. I would like for this to be removed. I would like for this to be added. In other words, when we look at our lives and, 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 and the things that are still missing in our life reality, the things that are still in our life reality that needs to be out of our life reality, and we figure out how in the world do we, do we you know, make these changes? How in the world do we realize all, all of these things? Realize reality. And, and the, and the answer to it is these things are already yours but we, we've got to learn how to walk in these things and we walk in these things by faith and the enemy knows this and so every temptation every test every trial is to try to slow you down stop you push you backwards or reroute you off of this course this this predetermined course to victory this pathway of faith amen so I want to I want to read that to you again as a matter of fact, <clears throat> praise God, if we lose the overhead, i still got a few minutes. If we lose the overhead, I'll come back to it. But I want to, um, I want to find this in my notes. I should have put it in, my, in there. I thought this would be for later, but I'm feeling really inspired right now to read this to you, okay? <clears throat> I'm reading it verbatim. If the grammar's bad, just pray for me, okay? Don't judge me. See if this sounds like a familiar pattern in your life. Pressing and pressing and pressing, then becoming pressured and frustrated and tired. Let me say that again. See if this sounds like a familiar pattern in your life. Pressing and pressing and pressing. In other words, you're going after, going after, going after God's best. Then becoming pressured and frustrated and tired. Things aren't changing fast enough. Is this working? Is this worth it? Excuses, pulling back, slacking off, sleeping in, giving in to your flesh, doing your own thing, neutral, a little time off, neutral, take a break, neutral, pressure against you starts pushing you backwards, slowly at first, imperceptible at first, losing ground, losing what you had laid hold of, aggravated at yourself, you know better, new focus, perhaps a new year, new effort, here we go again. The devil will play this game with you until the horn blows and time is up or until you drop dead in the wilderness having never reached your best life. The sentence after all this was the one that we shared several weeks back. I'm, not, I'm just, again, please hear me. I'm sitting at a keyboard, and this is what's going on in my spirit, and I'm just typing it away, right? And here's what the next sentence. Don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of that wall you keep hitting? Sin sets you back. Can I do this and still go to heaven, Pastor Mark? You need to start asking yourself, can you do this and have God's best life for you? Can you do this and lay your hands on sick people and they recover? Can you do this and experience the abundance of wealth and prosperity that Jesus bled to death naked on a cross for you to enjoy in this life? Can you do this and be so full of God's kingdom that you're like the owner of a general store who can put your hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. These are the questions 
that we need to ask ourselves. See, we have allowed religion to put everything in the context of how much can I get away with and still go to heaven? How little do I have to do and not make it into hell? And Satan will play this game with you until the horn blows and time is up or until you drop dead in the wilderness having never reached your best life. So let me go back to it now. If I can. Amen. Well, it stayed up there the whole time. That's good. Well, that's different. <laughs> there we go. All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice some familiar words here. He's talking about faith. He's talking about the sin that sets us back. He's talking about running with endurance. The race that is set before us, meaning a predetermined course for victory. He's talking about Jesus as our example. And Jesus as our example, the originator, the leader, the prince of our faith, and the completer, the finisher of our faith. Again, he is the beginning, the end, and everything in between where faith is concerned. Focused on the joy that was before him, he endured the cross, and for that matter, everything that led up to him going to the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I tell you what that means in simple terms? He finished his course. He, he uh, never veered off. He lived the life on this planet that God the Father put him on this planet to live. Now, I want you to picture this because it's... Do you see how this ties in with the passage in 2 Timothy? If you want to be crowned, you've got to compete according to the rules, according to the predetermined path, according to the, the, the principles that define and enable success and victory. Winning. Winning. Surely somebody in here likes to win. So he says we've got to lay aside every weight. So imagine somebody in the Olympics shows up at the starting line for the 100 meter dash with a backpack full of rocks. What? Are you following? But that's what he's talking about. He says, we're, we're trying to run a race on the course to our best life. We got to lay aside the weight that would slow our progress or make progress difficult. We're going to talk about some 
some of these weights, okay? Unforgiveness is a weight. Anger is a weight. Strife, it's, it at, at best, strife slows you down. But he said every weight and the sin, every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. That word ensnare basically means three things. It could be translated three different ways. The first one is the word beset. I think the King James Version uses beset. I thought beset meant set back. That's not what it means. The best image to give you a definition of the word beset would be a ship that has become completely surrounded by and hemmed in with ice. In other words, it has become so locked down that it cannot continue to move forward. So sin besets. The New King James Version translates in snares, um, which is basically synonymous with the second way, and that is entangled. Entangled. Do we even need to try to define what it means to get tangled up in stuff? Come on now. Amen. It's so easy for us to get tangled up in stuff that we ain't got. But again, imagine somebody with their with their shoelaces tied together trying to run a race. They're, they're tangled. They can't do it. And the third one is to impede. To impede. And this, of course, has something, is speaking of something that just basically slows or prevents forward progress. But what happens when we come to something that impedes us, that blocks the road? Well, we go around it, right? But see, when we start going around now, we've veered off course yet again. Amen. All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. Do you get anything out of this? I don't, and I'm not sure why I'm saying so much of this kind of behind the scenes stuff tonight, but, you know, sometimes I, it's like I see myself preaching stuff and most of the time when I actually preach it, it's the same as I saw it. This is not how I saw all this coming out, all right? But that's all right. Amen. As long as you're hearing it. I'm going to go back to it. At the heart of every definition, from evil to iniquity to sin to trespass, um, we're seeing something to do with a deviation from the path. Something to do with slowing, blocking, redirecting, onto some other path because I think if we, obviously God is trying to say something to us with these words. Words have meanings. and He's, he's trying to help us understand what these things really are. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight. For this time together, we thank you for the things that you are saying to us and I thank you for giving us ears to hear them and hearts to understand them. I thank you, Father, for the progress that each person in this room has made Lord, on the pathway to the life that you have for each of us to live. Father, it's not like one day we get there and until we get there we don't enjoy or experience anything. Father, 
we're progressing on a path. We're, we're experiencing and enjoying more and more as we travel on the path the life that you created us to live. And it increases. And, and, and it, 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 Lord, it becomes more obvious and, and the pathway becomes more clear. And I thank you, Father, that this is unfolding and developing, Lord, as, as we are learning what it means to walk by faith and not by sight, as we're learning what it means to live by faith, Lord, to, 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 to take every step, to every word, Lord, um, being oriented uh, towards you and towards the life that you created us to live by faith, Lord. So, Father, I thank you tonight that you forgive us, Lord, of our sins. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, Father, when we willfully deviate from the path that you have for us, we, we lose progress. We, we, we back up and, and, and we're spinning our wheels, Lord. We're, we're, we're investing time and effort and energy, Lord, into a, a pathway to an inferior life. And so, Lord, I thank you for helping us tonight reframe, redefine, better understand what these things are all about. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. My prayer for you is that whatever you put your hands to the rest of this week is going to prosper for the glory of our Father. Thank you so much for being here.